Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Amen. If you'll remain standing tonight, uh, that is not a misprint in your bulletin. We are going to try to look at chapters 13 through 19. It would be seven chapters in total. Don't be fearful. We're not going to read all of them, but we're going to read uh, selected portions for sure. And let us begin reading in verse 13. And then I'll try to summarize several of the other chapters before we look at this scripture tonight. Chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all of the Girgashites, from Shihor, which is east of Egypt, Northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers, the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of Aving. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon towards the sunrise. From Belgad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mishropoth, Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of the Manasseh. And so we see there that this land is being divided amongst the tribes. And this section begins the division. And so the remainder of chapter 13, we see the inheritance east of the Jordan for Manasseh, the Reubenites, and the Gadites. But we read this in verse 33 of chapter 13. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. Chapter 14 then begins the inheritance west of the Jordan and for the tribes there. And Lord willing, we will come back to that and look at uh, Caleb specifically and his request and his inheritance. Uh, Chapter 15, we see the allotment for Judah. Judah was the biggest tribe. And they are given the greatest amount of land. This is for several reasons. First, because they are the biggest tribe, but also because I think we see a preference here given to the fact that King David, the king of Israel, will come from this tribe. And ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ will be from the tribe of Judah. And so we see this uh, 
preference given to them and given the first allotment within the land. But we read this at the end of verse uh, chapter 15, beginning in verse 63. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. And then verse uh, chapter 16 and 17 is the allotment for Ephraim and Manasseh. I want to read a portion of this beginning in verse 14 when uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, remember these were the sons of Joseph, um, and these are the people that come from Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, um, come and say this. Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me one lot and one portion as an inheritance? Although I am a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me. And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, go up by yourself to the forest, and there clear ground for yourself in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The people of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, both those in Bethshin and in its village and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to the farthest border. For you shall drive out the Canaanites. Though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. As we move into chapter 18, then, we see that we have the rest of the division of the tribes. But we see that uh, the tribes have not gone into the land and have not conquered their particular areas. And we see somewhat of a rebuke here by Joshua. Begin reading in verse 2. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your father, has given you? And they go on to read, saying that he asks for representatives from each tribe to go scout the land. Once they scouted the land and have made good divisions, then they are to place those before the Lord. And Joshua would would draw lots to see which one of the tribes would give that certain portion. And so the rest of 18 and all of 19 are the divisions given to those seven tribes. And we'll end with this word tonight at the, the end of chapter 19. So they finished dividing the land. Amen. Well, please be seated. With that scripture in mind, and I do encourage you to read the whole of it at some point, but with that that we have read tonight and portions that we will look at, I want to read something that one of my pastoral friends wrote this week in a post And I think it's a fitting way to begin. He wrote, When we neglect personal time with the Lord 
and spend little time in his presence, meditating upon his word and pouring out our souls in prayer. Our heart grows spiritually cold and indifferent towards him. This has happened to all of us. Perhaps it's happening to you right now. It is certainly true that Christians' righteousness, their standing before God, does not change based upon the consistency or length of personal devotions. We can thank God for that. We are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by our good works, devotional life included. Salvation is not something that we do. It is something that Christ has already done. Nevertheless, a lackluster devotional life will negatively affect our walk with God. Indeed, if we do not dedicate time in our schedules to seek our Heavenly Father's face, examine our lives, confess our sins, abide in personal and the person and finished work of Jesus, and entreat the Holy Spirit to fill and empower us, then our hearts will, over time, grow cold towards the love and the priorities of the kingdom. Moreover, we will find ourselves increasingly attached to the present world and its panoply of seductive offerings. May the Lord help us with our hunger problems. May we recommit ourselves to sincere piety that seeks God personally and with our families during the week and corporately on the Lord's Day. There are no shortcuts to spiritual growth and intimacy with God. End quote. Indeed, there are no shortcuts, no way to circumvent what we are called to. The spiritual life, the calling of our life is long and it is challenging and sometimes very difficult. And most weeks, oftentimes, I know that you come here weary and worn. Worn from work and the world and the overall weariness of life. And that is understandable. It is truly a part of the fall. Even as we read back in Genesis chapter 3, we were told that this life would be filled with difficulties. That there would be literal and, quite frankly, metaphorical thorns and thistles. That we will work by the sweat of our brow, meaning that it's going to be difficult and challenging and tiring. And that challenge of that weariness oftentimes can begin to affect our spiritual life, can it not? As was mentioned, we are truly secure in Christ, but we should never have this attitude of, well, I'm just going to take it easy for a while, or I am just a little too tired to endure. Rather, every new day is a day that we must continue the journey as God has called us to. As Paul said, we need to fight the good fight of faith. And that is a good analogy, is it not? It is a fight, but fight we must. And so tonight as we look at this section of Joshua, and it is a large section, this is a a new section in the 
division of the book of Joshua. We have seen Joshua and the Israelites enter into the land, and we have seen them take the land. And now in this section, chapters 13 through 19, we see them dividing the land. And it's a section, quite frankly, that oftentimes many just skim over, thinking that there is nothing of benefit for us in the 21st century. Now, we're not going to look at every verse or every land division or what tribe and what portion of that tribe got the different parts of the land. But we need to be reminded that all Scripture is profitable. Even this one that may not seem to yield the same profitability as others. But I think that we will see that there is great profit to us in this section. And what we see is that the monotony of the battle begins to settle in. The zeal for the fight begins to wane. The excuses for not doing what the Israelites were called to do begin. But we see throughout it a wonderful motivation. To continue the journey. To continue to fight the good fights as we're called to. And I think we'll see how applicable this section truly is to us. Even here in the 21st century. In a land far removed from Israel. We'll we'll look at this in two points tonight. Excuses to not endure. And then second, reasons to endure. First, excuses to not endure. As we know, the call of the Lord was very clear. Enter into the land and take the land. And taking the land meant battling and fighting, which they have done, and they have done quite successfully. And it's not because of their success, as we have seen, but because of the success that the Lord gave them from the very beginning. God told them that I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And with this promise, they have taken on nations, quite frankly, much larger and stronger than them. As you remember two weeks ago, we saw in chapter 11 that it reads this way, that the king of the north, east, and west came out with all their troops, a great horde in number like the sand that is on the seashore with many horses and chariots. And yet, what did we see? That this was not too much for Israel. That Israel defeated them, in fact, routed them. Why? Because the Lord was on their side. And as we come, therefore, into chapter 13, we might think, well, that's it. The fighting is done. Well, no, because we read at the very beginning in chapter 13 that there is much land still to possess. Even though there is probably no more large-scale battles to be fought, the individual tribes need to now go into their land, that which has been allotted to them, and push out the remaining people. But you can imagine, can you not, how easy it would be To say, do we really need to do that? 
Haven't we done what we needed to do? Haven't we done it over many years? Isn't it time to take it easy and to relax, to enjoy some of the benefits of all this hard work, of all of this fights that we have done for so many years now? And Joshua and Israel could have had many reasons, quite frankly, many excuses to not do what they were called to do. And I want us to look at a couple of those excuses. The first excuse could have been age. We see this specifically with Joshua. We read this way back in chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, Joshua was old and advanced in years. Let's pause there. Most commentators believe that as this word comes to Joshua, Joshua is a hundred years old. And that makes sense, because you remember that when he was a spy, he was 40 years old. And then he had to wander in the wilderness with the rest of the Israelites, not because of his sin, but because of their sin, for another 40 years. So as he comes into Israel, he's 80 years old. And now he's been fighting, we can guesstimate, for about 20 years. And so it's reasonable to say that Joshua is 100 years old. Is there anyone that is 100 here tonight? So everyone, therefore, is younger than Joshua. Okay, then I can say this. I'm free to say this. Joshua was old. He was really, really old. And yet, look at what the Lord says to him. He says, you are old and advanced in years. And therefore, take it easy. Is that what it says? You're old and advanced in years, therefore, put up your feet. You're old and advanced in years, and therefore you've done everything you need to do. Does it say, you're old and advanced in years, and therefore leave all the remaining work for the younger people? Does it say any of that? No, it does not. What does it say? The Lord comes to him and says, you're old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. In other words, Joshua There is much more work to be done. And it's not because the Lord is ignorant of Joshua or doesn't know. No, he knows Joshua is old. He acknowledges as much. In fact, he says that. Joshua, you are old and advanced in years. But at the same time, there is no quit. And I think that This word to us is something that we need to advance and address. And I address this, some of you are already there. Some of you will be there in a few years. Some of you won't be there for many years. There's nothing wrong with retirement. Hopefully we can all get to a place financially that we can provide for ourselves in the latter years. Retirement is okay. But spiritual retirement is not. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can spiritually check out. That you can rest. 
on your laurels. You can't say, you know, I've done a lot of study of the Bible. I've read it from cover to cover many times. I've done much prayer. I've attended a lot of church services. I've chaired some committees in my day. I don't think I need to do that anymore. Rather, I'm just going to fill my days with mindless TV watching and playing cards. Long walks on the beach until I just walk right off into the sunsets. I've used my life to serve others. It's time for me to be served. I need some me time. If anybody finds that in the Bible, let me know. But I've read this several times through, and I've never seen it. What I see is the same word that the Lord gives to Joshua. That there's more work to do. That this isn't a time to sit idly by or let others do all the work. You need to continue to fight the good fight. Age is never an excuse to check out of the Christian life. The calling of Jesus is always upon us. We must be a disciple. We must continue as a disciple, no matter our age. And I want us to be reminded this night of what the Bible says about old age. Let me read several verses to you. First from Job 12, 12. Wisdom is with the aged, and understanding in length of days. Deuteronomy 27, 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. Psalm 71, 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Proverbs 16, 31. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Notice what those verses say. Notice what comes with age. Not taking it easy. But rather with old age comes wisdom, comes counsel, comes proclaiming what the Lord has done, and of passing that on to the next generation. And so if you are of retirement age, then the Bible essentially says that you're entering into the prime ministry time of your life when you can possibly be of the most good for your children and for your grandchildren and perhaps even your great-grandchildren and especially for your church family. And I know that with age comes limitations, I'm not saying that you need to take the youth camping next weekend. But your prayers and your wisdom and your ability to participate and lead in ministry and using your gifts as the Lord would call you to is invaluable. And so don't check out. You're needed. You're needed 
in this world as long as the Lord would have you here. Never doubt that. If this word is to Joshua at 100 years old, then this is definitely for us. And we are likewise without excuse. And so we cannot use the excuse of age. Second excuse that we see here is of what I call spiritual weariness. When you read through this section, again, I encourage you to do so. In chapters 13 through 19, you read this common refrain. And let me read several portions of this to to show you what I'm talking about. In chapter 13, verse 13, we read this. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Girgashites or the Makathites, but Geshur and Makath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. He's talking about those tribes that are east of the Jordan, Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad. As we go on, we see in chapter 15 when he's talking about Judah, we read this at the end of chapter 15, verse 63. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. We see with Ephraim in chapter 16, verse 10. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who live in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. Again, chapter 17, verse 12, talking about the tribe of Manasseh. Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. And we can see this with almost every one of the tribes. They were tired of fighting, tired of doing what the Lord called them to do. And they probably began to think, is this really something that we need to do? Is this really necessary? Those Canaanites over there, they look all right. They look friendly. They look like they won't pose any kind of problem. I think we're just going to allow them to remain. Or, you know what, we'll deal with them another day. But notice that other day becomes a year, two years, ten years. We don't know how long, but the author of Joshua says throughout this that these people still remain to this day. In other words, they never took care of those people. They never took care of those issues. And perhaps it's because they didn't want to, quite frankly. It's not because they couldn't. It's because they wouldn't. And it's not because they were not strong enough. The Lord was on their side. The Lord had given them into their hands. It's because they, quite frankly, thought that they were smarter than God. We see this, we read this earlier with uh, chapter 17 with the uh, tribe of Manasseh. It says that they did not drive out the Canaanites. But in verse 13 it says, Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Notice that. The Israelites 
grew strong. This is the time that they could have defeated them and conquered their enemies. But sadly, it says, they did not drive them out. Rather, they put them to forced labor. They thought to themselves, why drive them out? That doesn't profit us. Let's instead use them. That way we can make purpose for them. That way we can have a benefit as a result of them remaining here. But again, this is not what the Lord commanded. But seemingly, they were smarter than God. And I don't want to overly spiritualize this, but surely there is a spiritual principle here. Now, we are not fighting against people. We are not fighting against nations. But we do have a fight. But our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the spiritual realm. We have a spiritual fight. And when we tolerate things in our life that we should be fighting, then we are doing this exact same thing as the Israelites were doing here. When we justify sin, when we say, I know what God says. But it really doesn't look that bad. It really doesn't look that harmful. That's something I can tolerate in my life. I can allow it to remain. Or even worse, like the Israelites do here, this is something that I can even possibly profit from. This is actually good for me. You see how quickly astray we can become and how deceived in our own mind we can be with sin. This week I received the very sad and troubling news that a fellow pastoral friend was deposed from the ministry. It's a man in our denomination, a pastor of a church just like ours, caught in heinous sin. No doubt he knew what he was doing was evil and wrong. How couldn't you? And be a pastor of the word, a preacher of the word, week by week. But at some point he stopped fighting and began to tolerate, began to justify his sin until the sin overcame him. Instead of conquering sin, he was conquered by sin. And that is a Sad, sad reality that we see way too much. And we should never think, well, that would never happen to me. No, it happens to people all of the time. And the sad aspect of it is that oftentimes those bad things don't happen right away. Just as the Israelites allowed these foreign nations to remain, it was probably okay for a while. Yet we... Read what comes after Joshua as judges. And we read that the Israelites were led into all sorts of sin because of these people that dwelled in their midst. They were led into idolatry and sexual sin and all sorts of other heinous debauchery. And the same can happen to us. We may not see the immediate consequences of our sin. And therefore the the world and the flesh and the devil may whisper in our ears saying, oh, it's... It's all right. There'll be nothing that comes of this. And over time, it'll lead us further and further from the truth to our 
very own ruin. And that's why we need to hear again the words that Joshua said to Israel when he essentially rebukes these tribes that have not taken their lands. He says in chapter 18, verse 3, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land, which the Lord, the God of your father, has given you? Notice he says the Lord has given to you. Go in and take it. And the same is true for us, that we have victory over sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus on the cross conquered sin, conquered death, conquered the devil. The victory is ours. So do not let it have a foothold in your life. Do not let it remain. Root it out. Cut it out. Get rid of it. Do not allow for yourself to have spiritual apathy. Spiritual lethargy. Let us continue to fight the battle. Do not allow such sin to remain. Do not allow spiritual weariness to lead you astray. Well, the third excuse then is discontentment. And we see this with the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim as they come to Joshua in chapter 17, verse 14. And they say to Joshua, why have you given us but one lot and one portion as an inheritance? Although I am a numerous people since all along the Lord has blessed me. You hear what they are saying that Manasseh and Ephraim were the sons of Joseph. And they're saying to Joshua, you only gave us one allotment. But we are two people and we are very numerous Well, the reality is that wasn't true. If you look at chapter 16 and chapter 17, there is a specific allotment for Ephraim and there's another allotment for Manasseh. They were given two allotments. And Joshua calls them out on this. He says that you shall not have only one allotment only. There there has been given two to you. But he goes on to say, if you are so numerous, we see this in verse 15, go up by yourself to the forest, there clear the ground, and clear it, not only the forest, but clear the land of those that are dwelling there. But then we read the true reason why they are coming to Joshua. They said the hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who land in the plain have chariots of iron. Saying, well, we can live in the hill country, but there's not enough land up there in the hill country. And in the plains, which is the good land, that's taken by the Canaanites. And well, they're strong. And they're mighty. And they have chariots. In other words, that's going to be tough. And difficult. And quite frankly, we don't want to. The real problem is that they are discontent. And therefore they grumble and complain. Something I know that you know nothing 
about. And ultimately, they are not grumbling and complaining against Joshua, are they? They're grumbling and complaining against God. Because God is the one that has given them this land. Has given them these allotments. And they're essentially saying, well, it's not a good allotment. It's not a good land. We wish we got what Judah got. Or maybe even what Benjamin got. All we got was this hill country. And the good land in this is taken with bad guys. And we can't do anything about it. In other words, they are discontent with their lot in life. Pun intended. You can help your neighbor understand that one in a moment. And something else that may be at play here, which I think is interesting. Remember, Joshua was from what tribe? The Ephraimites. And so this is his tribe, at least one of the two that's coming to him. And so these are his relatives. And so perhaps underneath this, they can be saying, come on, we are your brother. Take pity on us. Give us better land. And they might be working the family connections here. And if you're not an admirer of Joshua already, shame on you. But you'll especially be so when you see Joshua's response here. Look at verse 17 and 18. He says to them, you are numerous and have great power. And you not have only one allotment. In other words, you have two. But the hill country shall be yours. For though it is forest, you shall clear it and possess it to the farthest border. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. Essentially, Joshua is saying, you need to man up and do the hard work necessary. Quit your belly aching. You might be my brothers, but I'm not going to give you a shortcut. And that is why Joshua is a true brother, literally and spiritually. He calls them to do the hard thing because it's the right thing. But before we point the finger at Manasseh and Ephraim, we need to realize how easily we do the same. Why is this my lot in life? Why do I have to go through this? Well, he or she over there, well, they have it so much better. They have it so much easier. I wish I had their life. You know, they, they have a good marriage. They have a nice house. They drive nice cars. My life is none of those things. My life stinks. God must not love me. See how easy it is to think in that manner and how often we have thought crazy thoughts like that. Thoughts that are not true, that are similar to what the Ephraimites and those of Manasseh complain about and come to Joshua with. And it's true that we may have difficulties. Our life may not be like somebody else's. But our life is surely not worse than others. And I would say it's surely not even worse than most. As we say in 
our house all the time. If you compare yourself to others, you'll always be miserable. And so as you think of your lot in life, be reminded that God is faithful. He will provide no matter what you're going through. And we can either roll over and say, I can't, or we can take the strength that the Lord provides. We can drive out the Canaanites, so to speak, do the difficult work even though they are strong and have chariots of fire. When Joshua is saying to them, it's going to be difficult, he acknowledges such. And we would acknowledge the same to you this night. Life oftentimes is difficult. But again, we have the greatest promise in the world. That the Lord is on our side. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. That the Lord has given you his very own son. Through him we can endure. With him we can have the strength that is needed and necessary to endure all that we are called to do. Because we do so through his life. The life of Christ. Both his death and resurrection. Well, as we move on then, we don't have much time to look at the reasons to endure. But this portion was going to be a repeat from this morning anyway, which I hope you were here to hear. But this section, I'll just say briefly, chapters 13 through 19 is all about the inheritance. In fact, if you read this section, you'll see that inheritance is mentioned over 50 times. That this land is given as an inheritance to the people. As a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and the patriarchs. And so whereas it may be tedious for us to read, and it is, as we read through these boundaries and these tribes, let us be reminded that this is a fulfillment of a promise. It demonstrates that God is always faithful to all of his promises. And that he made that promise way back to Abraham. That they would gain this land. The children of Abraham. And God makes very similar promises to us. Whereas we don't have the promise that we'll inherit land. Nor will we be given a holy land as a corporate people of God. We have a greater inheritance than that of Israel. And that of the holy land as it is so called. As we saw this morning, 1 Peter 1.3, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for us. For we gain the Lord. That we gain the same inheritance as the Levites. And you heard that, didn't you? In chapter 13 and verse 33, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance because the Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. That through gaining Christ and us becoming spiritual priests in him, that we gain all things, that we gain the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and through him, We gain 
the entire earth, just as was mentioned this morning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So as we conclude this night, is the battle worth it? Is it worth persevering to the end? Or is the things of this world, or the pleasures of the flesh, going to derail us because they are more attractive? No, none of those things. No things of the earth compared to the things that we gain in Christ Jesus our Lord. For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And therefore, let us fight the good fight of faith. Let us take hold of the eternal life to which we were called. Until you go to be with the Lord or the Lord comes to be with you, let us be reminded that the Lord endured all things for our sake and for our salvation. Let us therefore endure all things for his sake and for his glory. And may the Lord find us faithful until that day. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this section, a section that's in first reading we might think it is as dry as the land in which it is talking about. But Lord, we see that there are many great and precious promises given to us. At the same time, Lord, we are confronted with a people that whined and complained and did not do what they wanted to to do. And Lord, we see so much of ourselves in that as well. So Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength of your spirit to endure, that we would truly fight the good fight as you have called us to, that we would continue the race, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For we pray this all in his name. Amen.